Good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to Region. And if this is your first time here, so psyched that you're here. We have got a table in the back just for you. It has a little hate card, and if you could just fill that out. And you know what? If this is your 18th week and you still haven't filled out a hate card and you're not getting those emails, fill out the hate card. Do it. Okay. Um, second, we have our check-in. So if you post a picture or a little status or something that says Regen Gives, hashtag Regen Gives, um, Regen is giving to Bella Center for Women this quarter. Um, what is, isn't it like 10 cents? A quarter? Whoa, that's what I'm talking about. So hashtag it up. Um, next, it, yeah, it's next week, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. Um, we have a feast at the tenants, and we're partying it up over there. It is next day night at 5.30 p.m. Um, and lastly, um, your youth and children's person is dressed this way for church because after church, um, the teens are meeting in Southington, and we're having student circle, but actually we're going to capture the flag in the mud and possible rain. It's going to be great. So any teens that you know between 6th and 12th grade, invite them on over to Southington. Me, Aaron back there, in all black because he's prepared. <laughs> yeah. um, you can just ask us for more details about that. And Zach's going to do our offering today. Josh is going to creep up here or not. Uh, hey, guys, I'm Zach. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for this, uh, uh, send these around. But if you want to just bow your heads and pray with me. Hey, Father. Um, Father God, I just uh, thank you for this time to be with you here again today. Um, I just ask that you uh, just kind of calm our nerves today. Let us focus in on the message that you have for us. Um, Lord, we know that you have defeated so many things for us and you've laid out a clear path for us to follow. Um, a life that is fulfilling, a life that is without any other needs other than you, God. So um, we just want to thank you for that today with our offering, with our attention, and with our obedience after we leave here today, Lord. So please be with us uh, when we leave today, God. And um, just just be the power, all the power that we need to carry out your good purposes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Acknowledge your kingship here today. It is your life and your death and your resurrection that makes you worthy and it crowns you and we are here to offer you ourselves. Again, or for the first time, or somewhere in between. And so, come Holy Spirit, that we might hear from Jesus today. Speak, Lord, your children are listening. Amen. And go ahead and have a seat. Uh, welcome. Oh, kids are going back with Kayla. Step one. <laughs> the mom behind me says walk. Um, Kayla mentioned it. Uh, you are invited to our house for dinner next Sunday night. 
Um, if you've not been in our home, we love having people in our home. And so we have crammed uh, like 40 people in our TV room alone just for the Super Bowl. So please feel free to come. Cinco de Mayo, bring some food. It'll be good. Uh, new coffee cups that I keep poking at Rebecca about is, is it really small or have I become a giant? I don't know. Uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 4. Starting a new series today, just press play. Uh, Matthew chapter 4. Uh, and in a minute, um, so there were two sets of bulletins and some didn't have inserts. You, do you, who does not have this piece of paper? Probably all of you. Candace is going to help you out and make sure that you have it because you're going to want the back side of it. And if at some point you need pens, they're kind of back underneath that little wreath. Um, we want to make sure everybody gets this. And I guess you could just write on the back of yours. It's just going to be drawing some circles. So you want that. Uh, Matthew chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip there. If not, Google it um, and get to Matthew 4. They had been living their lives on pause for years. Working the Sea of Galilee as fishermen, just as their father had done before them and as his father had done before him, catching fish, mending nets, weathering storms. Of course, they'd had bigger dreams for themselves once, dreams of making their father and mother truly proud, dreams of being chosen by a rabbi so that one day they could too become a rabbi. It was every Jewish boy's dream to prove himself knowledgeable enough, zealous enough, righteous enough, hardworking enough to become a teacher of the law of Moses. The hard work began at a young age. In elementary school or thereabouts, Jewish boys would go to school and memorize the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized. In middle school, they would memorize the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the books of Samuel. In high school, they would memorize the writings, Psalms, Proverbs, Esther. 419,687 Hebrew words memorized. Of course, not all of them were up to snuff. Some kids didn't make it past elementary school. Others didn't make it past middle school, so to speak. And the few that made it to the end of high school, not even all of them heard the words that they longed to hear from a rabbi, come, follow me. And so the men we find today, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, John, were washed out would-be rabbis, living mundane, ordinary lives that are, that are tinted with just a hint of failure and rejection and not being good enough. It, it colored every day, every hour, every net mended, every fish caught. They had never proved themselves worthy of hearing a rabbi say, come, follow me. Then one day, Jesus, a carpenter from a small town to the southwest of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus of Nazareth, a carpenter's son, walks by. Look at what happens in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, 
who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. If you were raised in church, if you grew up in Sunday school, this is a familiar story. Your Sunday school teacher taught you about how Jesus would come along and invite us to become fishers of men. Jesus calls his first disciples, his first apprentices, in the midst of their vocation as fishermen and says, I'm going to change your vocation. Instead of, catching, instead of fishing for fish, you're going to become fishers of men. Now, what our Sunday school classes did not teach us was the failure and rejection that underpins these texts. Jewish boys were raised with the hope of becoming a rabbi, becoming a teacher of the law, becoming a member of Israel's religious elite. It was a rigorous, demanding path that few successfully walked. And so here we find Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Simon Peter is one name, not two, four guys who almost certainly had the hope to make their families proud, who almost certainly wanted to prove themselves worthy, but did not. Somewhere along the line, they washed out and were sent back to work the trades of their fathers. The failure and disappointment that lies in the contextual background of of, of Matthew's account comes to the forefront in Luke. But let me make a super important point here, and that's, This language, come follow me, is not Jesus just reaching for words. Jesus does nothing thoughtlessly. Jesus does nothing unintentionally. Jesus is always particular. And in this case, when he is using the words, come follow me, he is saying to four men who would have liked to have been a rabbi, come and I will make you a rabbi. He is saying the words that they had longed to hear since they were little boys. If you have washed out, if you have failed, if behind you are scattered the corpses of dreams, Jesus is good with that. Turn over to Luke chapter 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all telling the same story. They just happen to be telling it from different perspectives. So, for example, Matthew's gospel includes the phrase, follow me, because it's a very Jewish phrase, and Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. Luke is writing to a Greco-Roman audience, telling the same story, arranging the circumstances differently, because he is telling a different story. Come follow me meant nothing to the Greco-Roman imagination. It meant everything that a Jewish one. But look at how Luke tells this story. On one occasion, this is Luke chapter 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Greek name for the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen, uh, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked Simon to put him out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people. From the boat, Jesus is using the natural acoustics of the lake to speak to this large crowd. Verse 4 of chapter 5, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. NIV says, put out into deeper water. 
Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and got nothing. This is a crisis for a professional fisherman. This is losing the Super Bowl. Okay, this is the bottom of the bottom to work all night, which is when you fished in first century Israel because the fish come up from the bottom of the lake during the nighttime. They were out all night and caught nothing. This maybe would happen once or twice in an entire career. Master, we toiled all night. We took nothing. I love this. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, They enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is more than a rabbi. This is more than a teacher of the law. There's something unique about him. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken, and also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. These washed-out would-be rabbis also turn out to be failed fishermen and yet at jesus invitation they strike out for deeper water and let down their nets and stunned by the miracle that they just witnessed peter falls at jesus's feet recognizing not only jesus's lordship but his personal brokenness something in peter's past that pastored him and harried him came to the front of his mind as his boat was overwhelmed and overflowing with the flopping of fish They are washed out would-be rabbis. They are failed fishermen, and yet this does not stop Jesus from inviting Peter and his brother Andrew and his partners James and John from becoming his disciples, from becoming his apprentices. The would-be washed out rabbis, the failed fishermen, will now be catching men as Jesus offers an invitation they've been longing to hear. Come and follow me. They were living their lives on pause. They were stuck. They were disappointed. They had decided that they would never be of any use to God, never bring honor to their families. And out of Peter's mouth, we find this sin that will not let him go. This sin that he assumes disqualifies him. And yet it's to people such as these that Jesus comes and says, come, follow me. It's to people such as these that Jesus says, let's press play. He invites these Men to join him in making all things new, to become fishers of men, fishers of women, fishers of people. Matthew and Luke tell us that on hearing this invitation, hearing this challenge maybe, they immediately drop their nets and follow Jesus. Luke says they left everything to go and follow Jesus. They do not pass go. They do not collect $200. They do not go and check with their wives. They do not go home and pack a bag. They leave what they were doing and follow Jesus immediately. And then they are strapped into the roller coaster of the kingdom exploding around Jesus. Because in Matthew chapter 4, if you flip back there, 
the text goes right from Jesus calling these first disciples to this in verse 23. And he, Jesus, went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And for every single one of these moments, for every miracle, for every healing, for every teaching, these four men and eight others have front row tickets to watch all of this happen. And it is not long before Jesus looks at them and says, okay, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Go, heal the sick. Go, cast out every demon. Go, proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. He equips and calls out and sends these would-be washed-out rabbis, these, these failed fishermen, these men who had been living their lives on pause, settling for ordinary when they were made for more. Jesus calls them He comes bursting in like the Kool-Aid guy on the side of a building with his power and his presence. And he says, come follow me. And all of this happened because they went out into the deeper water. All of this happened because they went out into the deeper water. That's my invitation. That's my challenge for us this morning is to strike out for the deeper water. I, uh, I grew up going to a kind of a, a pool club. I don't know what you call it. The Warren Olympic Club on the northwest side. You had, you had to be pay to become a member, but then you could swim there all summer. And um, when I was a kid, the highest, you know, honor, the, the thing you looked forward to most was jumping off the high dive. Um, we have a church picnic there with our Grace Campus, and I got up on, like, I started halfway up the stairs on the high dive, and I'm like, what was wrong with you, Kyle? Like, I'm terrified of heights, and now I'm up there, and there's this, I like, I got in the water real quick because if I didn't, I might have peed a little. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so I remember our first summer there, I wanted to get into the deep end. I wanted to get into the deep water so bad. And the way that you had to do that, the lifeguards had to see that you could swim well enough to go into the deep part of the pool. And so you had to swim 100 meters without stopping. 100 meters without stopping. So here's 11-year-old Kyle strapping on his goggles, you know, all like, you know, I mean, I'm gangly now. See me in middle school. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, here I come to go get in the pool and I swim it and I do it. And then my first thing is I'm off the high dive. But have you ever noticed like how kids are the first ones to go get in the deep end and adults could care less? Uh, There's an author who says when, um, when childhood dies, its corpses are called adults. When childhood dies, its corpses are called adults. What do we do as adults? I'll just stick my toes in. We do that spiritually too. I want the coolness of the water. I want the comforts of following Jesus. I want the blessings that he'll give me. But don't ask me to do something that makes me uncomfortable. But following Jesus is not simply an invitation to relationship. It is a challenge to join with Jesus and make all things new. I want to challenge us this morning to press play. I want to challenge us to go into the deeper water as a community. But I also want to challenge us to do it immediately. 
immediately to lay aside our resistance, to lay aside our hesitance. And we kind of talked about this last week and to press in. So where does this idea of pressing play come from? How do we get into the deep water? How do we do this? A lot of us uh, here at Regen are familiar with this idea of up, in, and out. And this is a simple way of helping us remember how Jesus lived his life and how we, as the people of Jesus, who want to wrap our lives around Jesus, are going to live. So what we see in Jesus is we see him living three priorities. We see him living in this upward dimension with his father. So the disciples often in the gospels are like, hang on, where did Jesus go? And they always find him wandering off in a lonely place, the text calls it, praying with his father. He is constantly engaged in this deep and intimate and ongoing personal relationship with his father. Jesus comes from a spiritual family, I and the Father are one, to start a spiritual family by proclaiming a gospel of freedom and forgiveness. He wants to expand his spiritual family. He says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. I'm going to preach a message of forgiveness and freedom. He wants to expand his spiritual family. And Jesus does that. Jesus expands his spiritual family by investing in a few key spiritual siblings. So he picks these four guys and eight others. He spends a lot of time with three guys, some time with 12 guys, a little bit of time with 70 people, a little less time with 120 people. And he has a strategy of reaching the many by reaching the few. So Jesus will spend time in prayer with his father and then be talking and teaching his, his friends and his spiritual siblings and his disciples while around a campfire and then inviting them to join him in proclaiming a gospel of freedom and forgiveness, of making all things new. As the followers of Jesus, as his apprentices, as the people who are with Jesus or like Jesus, who do what Jesus does... Our call is to have a three-dimensional lifestyle in the same way as Jesus does. But as American Christians, up and in come very easy. We love to come to church and close our eyes and worship and sing. We like to hear the teaching. We like to go to Kyle's house and eat tacos on Sunday, May 5th at 5.30 p.m. In case you missed the date and the information. It is where the out, it is joining Jesus and making all things new becomes hard, which is why as a church, what we're trying to do is emphasize the out. We want to turn the triangle on its side. We want to turn the triangle on its side to make out the sharp end of the spear of what we do. Uh, when I looked at this, somebody, you know, somebody said, make it the sharp end of the spear. I thought, oh, so out becomes the first bite of pizza, right? Down there at the bottom of the triangle. Uh, Candace said, it actually looks like a play button, right? Just press play. Stop living on pause. Just press play. We, uh, and, and, and here's why we make out the sharp end of the spear, out is the only thing we can't do in heaven. Heaven is one long up and in party. We will worship. Listen, if this is disappointing to you, this is going to be sad. Heaven is going to be one long series of chapels and sermons interrupted by worship. Okay? It is going to be one long party with our spiritual family from all places and all times and all tribes and all nations which is also good news because the other thing that you, you can't tell somebody about Jesus in heaven that doesn't already know him, and in heaven you can't apologize because there's nothing to apologize for, which I also find to be good news because I spent a lot of time apologizing as a leader. We need to be the people. Jesus is calling us to be the people who put out into deeper water immediately 
Because here's the reality. A lot of us have been doing this up and in thing for a long time and we've plateaued in our spiritual growth. And the truth of the matter is that the meat is on the streets. The meat is when we're engaged in proclaiming the gospel to our friends and to our family. But I'm not comfortable with that. Jesus does not care. Do not talk to a Jesus who died for you about your comfort. Just don't. Um, Scripture says... Uh, do the work of an evangelist. It doesn't matter if it's not your spiritual gifting. Scripture says, do the work of an evangelist. So it's not a matter of comfort or discomfort. It's a matter of obedience or disobedience. Um, A poll came out this week that said uh, one half of churchgoers have not had an intentional conversation with someone about their faith in the last six months. So one half of our room has not had an intentional conversation with someone about their faith in the last six months. Let me kind of define what an intentional conversation about our faith is. It is not, you should come to church with me, and it is not commenting, I'll be praying for you when somebody like puts something on Instagram. It is, this is what I believe, this is what it means, right? This is gonna catch somebody's hair on fire. Almost half of millennials, 47% of millennials, agree at least somewhat with the following statement. Somewhat agree, strongly agree, It is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Some, some millennial somewhere like they're like literally just exploded, right? Because like we just started talking about like absolute truth. Can't do that. Um, I want us to be a church that presses into out and that, and so this series is going to equip you to do that. So I'm not just going to tell you, let's be out people. And we're going to go home and say like, oh, we did it. Um, we're, gonna, we're going to press into that, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to equip you with a tool for talking about the gospel with your friends and family and neighbors. And if you can remember three words, you can remember this. Um, somebody in the room always also does the, but St. Francis of Assisi says, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. That's wrong. St. Francis of Assisi started a preaching order. Okay? He wants us to preach. The gospel calls us to preach. The gospel tells us to go and share that with our friends and family. So we're going to press into the outward and make the out the sharp end of our spear, make it the first bite of our pizza. We're going to press play by going to the deeper water, by becoming people who are equipped to have these conversations with our friends. And so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to do this series this week and next week. I'm going to give you a break because you're all freaking out right now. And then we're going to, you're going to breathe it through and then we're going to come back to it in the fall. Okay, so we're going to take a little break, and then just in case you thought it was just Kyle having this one idea this one time, we're going to come back to it, because I think it's that important. And, and when we start talking about, when I say to you, I want you to have an intentional conversation with a friend, a neighbor, a kid, a grandkid about, about the gospel, your, your, your blood pressure increases, and there's resistance there, and that resistance comes from at least one, if not two or three of the following places. It comes from the head, it comes from the heart, or it comes from the hands. There's resistance here somewhere, okay? Head resistance is, I don't fully understand the story of the gospel. Like, I kind of get snapshots of it, but I don't see the gospel as one unified whole, I'm happy to come to church, I'm happy to be a Christian, but I don't have like a a, a cognitive understanding of the way the gospel works, the shape of it. I can solve that today because I can give you this kind of in a nugget, right? And actually, they're honest by saying, people that say that are being a little more honest because the gospel is so big, it took 27 books in the New Testament to fully describe it and they didn't even get there, right? So what you watch is New Testament authors kind of grabbing a strand and hanging on, and so we're kind of just grabbing one of those strands and using it as a tool, 
So there's head resistance, I don't fully understand. There's heart resistance. There's an emotional kind of reality. And one of those is fear. Okay, what if I'm not smart enough? What if my friends don't like me? What if I offend somebody? What if I get it wrong? Behind fear is apathy. Or next door to fear is apathy, which says, uh, which comes from a variety of places. One is like, I'm still not entirely committed to Jesus's lordship in my life. Another one just is, I don't know if it's my problem that people uh, don't know Jesus. I, I can't really solve the fear of the apathy. I can tell you as far as fear that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for those who believe. It's not you, it's the power of God. That's why I'm really glad when Jesus sends out the 72, he says, if they reject you, they're rejecting me. So just brush the dust off your feet and move on. If you have apathy toward lost people, if you are happy to receive the benefits of salvation without any, without any urge to tell anybody about it, the only thing I can do is to pray and fast for that to be different in your heart. That's what I do. Not fasting so much because I get really cranky really fast, but praying, yeah. Nobody wants a hungry Kyle. Nobody wants a hungry Kyle. Resistance of the head, resistance of the heart, resistance of the hands can just be, I don't, I don't have a tool in my hands. I don't know how. I don't know practically how to do that. So this week and next week, I'm going to teach you this tool. And so that's why we come to the backside of that sheet, this tool that's going to help us go out into the deeper water. And remember, for the heads and the hands, if you can remember three words, if you can remember three words, you can do this. And the words are uh, beauty, broken, and birth. Beauty, broken, and birth. And to tell you how simple this is, it's half of one single space page in my document, okay? It's just half of one page is all it took to type it out. You could, the goal is you could draw this on the back of a napkin. I don't know if you've noticed this lately, but the world is a broken, broken place. You turn on the news, you talk to your friends, you even have stuff going on in your life that lets you know this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Our world is a broken world. And it is marked by suffering and sickness and sadness. And I know that font is small, and I'm sorry about that. Those are the three lines under the broken circle. Our world is broken. It is marked by sadness, sickness, and suffering. And the reality is that that's not the way it was supposed to be. In fact, God created the world in beauty. And when he created the world in beauty, there was no pain, there was no punishments, and there were no problems. We had a life-giving relationship with God. We had life-giving relationships with one another. And we had life-giving relationships with ourselves. There wasn't this internal brokenness. There wasn't this relational brokenness. There wasn't this divine brokenness. All things were working together for a whole. Something went wrong. Something went wrong. Sin entered the world. And it broke something at the very foundational nature of the world. Sin is why we have so much suffering and sickness and sadness. It created the distance between us and God. It created distance between us and one another. It created distance between us and ourselves. And you see that little word I in the word sin, it reminds me that I go my own way. The reality is, is that God has shown us what is good. And I, on a regular basis, reject that. And my own sin is part of what makes the world a more broken place. 
The good news is that God created a plan to restore the world to how he had built it. He sends his son, Jesus, who lives a perfect life. He dies a sinner's death. And in, and in dying, he takes on himself that sickness and that suffering and that sadness. He takes my sin and your sin on himself. And when Jesus rises from the dead, he is called the firstborn of the dead. He has a new birth. And he offers that birth, that new birth, to all of us. Through that new birth, we can have freedom, we can have forgiveness, we can have a future. We can have freedom from the stuff that weighs you down and weighs me down, from my anxiety or, or from my, my need for approval. Or I can have forgiveness for the things that I've done wrong. I can have forgiveness for my past. And I have hope for a future, not only in this life, but in the life to come, that I will be with Jesus face to face forever. So how do we experience that new birth? Well, we do it by putting our faith in Jesus. Jesus has a simple message, repent and believe the good news. The good news is that our broken world can get back to beauty through that new birth, that I can have future and freedom and forgiveness through Jesus. And the way that I experience that good news personally is by what Jesus says, repenting and believing. Or another way to talk about that is to turn and follow that I'm to turn away from doing things my own way and turn toward doing what Jesus would have me do and following him for the rest of my life. That is my entrance into the new birth. And because of following Jesus, as I follow Jesus into my ordinary life, as I join him in blessing the world, as I belong to his people, we find a way to get back to beauty and join Jesus in restoring the world to the way it was supposed to be. We all see that the world is broken. We can't do anything on our own to fix it. Unless I receive the new birth, I can't bring beauty back into the world. But Jesus, through his people, by belonging to his people who bless the world, we are bringing people, we are bringing the world back to the beauty that it was created to have. So you tell this story. You draw this on the back of a napkin. One day, one of your kids is going to say, Mom, tell me about what it means to get, how do I go to heaven after I die? A, a, a friend of yours is going to say, tell me about this Jesus stuff that you believe. So you can draw on the back of a napkin three circles, beauty, broken, and birth. So you draw this on the back of a napkin, but that's not all. Then what you ought to say or should say, they're going to ask you some questions. You answer them the best that you can. Then you need to look at them in the eye and say, are you ready to receive the new birth right now? Are you ready to receive the new birth right now? Now, there are two options that are equally terrifying as their response. One is, oh my God, what if they say yes? <laughs> right? What if they say yes? Okay. Then you're like, shoot, he didn't preach about that part on Sunday. All you need to do is invite them into saying yes to Jesus. There, is no, there, it, there are no magic words for getting saved. All we're looking to do is say to Jesus, hey, I believe you are who you said you are, and I want to turn from my ways and follow you. Boom. Give me the new birth. I mean, if a guy hanging next to Jesus as he was dying says, can I be with you in paradise? And Jesus says, yes, there's clearly not a formula in the Bible, right? It's more about saying yes to Jesus. Now, you might say that, and then they're going to say, well, now what do I do? And then you say, well, why don't you come to church with me, or let's read the Bible together, or whatever. But what if they say no? Hey, are you ready to receive the new birth today? No, I'm not. Okay, well, it was nice having coffee with you. I'll see you next week. No, you need to say, why not? 
Why not? You can hear Zoe back there. Um, why not? And that's when we get to the meat of the conversation. Well, I have a lot of intellectual doubts that I need to explore. Okay. Um, I have a really broken past. I don't think God could ever love me. Okay, let's talk about that. Uh, the goal is not just to draw the circles. The goal is then to ask the question. I and Steph um, and uh, a few others here have been praying regularly that we would have an opportunity to have this conversation. It has not happened for me yet. I, I, want, I don't want to just draw the circles. I want to say, are you ready to put your faith in Jesus? Are you ready to receive the new birth today? Has not happened yet. Uh, I set that goal for myself in November, and then we had a baby in there. No big deal. So, slash best excuse in the world. Am I right? So, um, what I want us to do as a church is press play. And, and that does not mean, as a church, by the way, okay, um, we're going to create these a million opportunities for you to do that. What I'm trying to equip us in is in the ordinariness of your life to press play. Okay? Regen is a unique church, I, I guess, I, I don't know for sure, in that we are more of a school for discipleship than we are a club to belong to. I'm told. I don't fully understand that all the time. I'm glad. Um, I'm a part of a, I'm, I'm having the coolest church experience of my life, and it just so happens that I'm leading it, and most of the time I'm just as surprised as the next guy. Um, but I, I want to kind of make kind of two reminders, and the one is, y'all, press play immediately. I find people in our community tend to have a resistance because of their comfort or even like, I'm not smart enough for this. Acts says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were ordinary, uneducated men who had been with Jesus. Being with Jesus is your only qualification for joining him and making all things new. Immediately, immediately, with whatever head, heart, or hand problem you have, immediately. Um, that's the invitation is to do it immediately. The challenge is don't be the grown-up person with the arm floaties in the pool. Okay? It's time to go into the deep water. Don't be uh, like the overfed, mature, like should be mature by now, but really is immature because I like content more than I like following Jesus. Person splashing your little toesies in the water. The meat is on the streets. The meat is in the deep end of the water. It's time to press play. Um, so let me pray, and then we're going to receive communion and go. Definitely have my teaching hat on more than my preaching hat, so kind of doing that this week and next, and we'll see where that goes. Jesus, uh, we offer you this morning our hesitance. We offer you our resistance. We offer you our head and our heart and our hands. We offer you our money and our calendars. We offer you our private space. We offer you our Enneagram number and our extroversion and, our, and introversion. We offer you our Myers-Briggs type. We offer you any of the reasons that we can think of to not join you and to let somebody else do it. And we say, here I am, send me. Jesus, we nail to the cross this morning our comfort and invite you to uh, stir in us an appetite for discomfort. We offer you all the ways that we keep pressing pause. And I pray, Jesus, that you would just come and press the play button for us, that you would yank the remote out of our hands. Thank you, Jesus, most importantly, that in our brokenness, you made a way for us to be born again. Uh, it wasn't until recently when Zach pointed out, I've never thought about how offensive that is.
to be born again, that I'm so broken, I just need to start so fresh that I need a new birth. Thank you that your uh, blood makes that possible. Thank you that I am a child of God today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want to kind of come right to the table. We believe uh, in our little corner of the world of Christianity that we're not just remembering facts when we come to this table. We are encountering the very presence of Jesus. And uh, that's why we say, if you have a pulse, you're welcome to this table because we don't care who you are or where are you from, Backstreet Boys, or what you did. What we care about is you coming into the very presence of Jesus as you are. This Jesus who made a beautiful world that we broke, but who makes a plan to restore it and involves us in that. And we are hesitant. And so maybe as you come forward today to call to mind your resistance to pressing play and to going into the deeper water and allowing... um, just this meal that Jesus gives us to transform that could be a really great step forward. Um, I would like Zach Byler, who, by the way, preached at the earlier service at this location this morning. So, you know, extra crowns in heaven for him. <laughs> um, and um, uh, Regine, if you would, um, and uh, Jairus Banning, come help me. This is the body of Jesus broken for us. This is the blood of Jesus poured out for us when we needed him. Father, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup that they might become for us the body and blood of Christ. That in the eating and drinking of them we might be your body, pressing play, going into the deep water, redeemed by your blood, covered, protected, sealed chasing down the one thing that we cannot do forever. Amen. The table is open. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You are sent to preach to ears that will hear for belief so they would know the name of Jesus, the one who sent you. Love you a lot, and uh, we'll see you next week. Peace.